Chapter Three, Part One of the Coming of the Fairies. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Coming of the Fairies by Arthur Conan Doyle. Chapter Three, Reception of the First Photographs. Though I was out of England at the time. I was able, even in Australia, to realize that the appearance of the first photographs in the Strand magazine had caused very great interest. The press comments were as a rule cautious, but not unsympathetic. The old cry of fake was less conspicuous than I had expected, but for some years the press has been slowly widening its views upon psychic matters, and is not so inclined as of old to attribute every new manifestation to fraud. Some of the Yorkshire papers had made elaborate inquiries, and I am told that photographers, for a considerable radius from the house, were cross-questioned, to find if they were accomplices. Truth, which is obsessed by the idea that the whole spiritualistic movement and everything connected with it is one huge, senseless conspiracy to deceive, concocted by knaves and accepted by fools, had the usual contemptuous and contemptible articles, which ended by a prayer to Elsie that she should finish her fun and let the public know how it really was done. The best of the critical attacks was in the Westminster Gazette, who sent a special commissioner to unravel the mystery and published a result on January the twelfth, nineteen twenty one. By kind permission I reproduced the article. Do fairies exist? Investigation in a Yorkshire Valley Cottingley's Mystery Story of the girl who took the snapshot. The publication of photographs of fairies, or to be more explicit, one photograph of fairies, and another of a gnome, playing around children, has aroused considerable interest, not only in Yorkshire, where the beings are said to exist, but throughout the country. The story, mysterious as it was when first told, became even more enigmatical by reason of the fact that Sir A. Conan Doyle made use of fictitious names in his narrative in the Strand magazine in order, as he says, to prevent the lives of the people concerned being interrupted by callers and correspondents. That he has failed to do. I am afraid Sir Conan Doyle, not knowing Yorkshire people, particularly those of the Dales, because any attempt to hide identity immediately arouses their suspicions if he does not go so far as to condemn the writer for his lack of frankness. It is not surprising, therefore, that this story is accepted with reserve. Each person to whom I spoke of the subject during my brief sojourn in Yorkshire dismissed the matter curtly as being untrue. It has been the principal topic of conversation for weeks, mainly because identity had been discovered. My mission to Yorkshire was to secure evidence, if possible, which would prove or disprove the claim that fairies existed. I frankly confess that I failed. The particular fairyland is a picturesque little spot off the beaten track, two or three miles from Bingley. Here is a small village called Cottingley, almost hidden in a break in the upland, through which tumbles a tiny stream, known as Cottingley Beck, on its way to the air, less than a mile away. The heroine of Sir Conan Doyle's story is Miss Elsie Wright, who resides with her parents at 31 Linwood Terrace. Footnote. From this time onwards, the real name Wright is used instead of Carpenter, as in the original article, the family having withdrawn their objection. End of footnote. The little stream runs past the back of the house, 
and the photographs were taken not more than a hundred yards away. When Miss Wright made the acquaintance of the fairies, she was accompanied by her cousin, Frances Griffiths, who resides at Dean Road, Scarborough. One photograph taken by Miss Wright in the summer of 1917, when she was sixteen, shows her cousin, then a child of ten, with a group of four fairies dancing in the air before her, and in the other, taken some months afterwards, Elsie, seated on the grass, has a quaint gnome dancing beside her. There are certain facts which stand out clearly, and which none of the evidence I was able to obtain could shake. No other people have seen the fairies, though everybody in the little village knew of their alleged existence. When Elsie took the photograph, she was unacquainted with the use of a camera, and succeeded at the first attempt. The girls did not invite a third person to see the wonderful visitors, and no attempt was made to make the discovery public. First, I interviewed Mrs. Wright, who, without hesitation, narrated the whole of the circumstances without adding any comments. The girls, she said, would spend the whole of the day in the narrow valley, even taking their lunch with them, though they were within a stone's throw of the house. Elsie was not robust, and did not walk during the summer months, so that she could derive as much benefit as possible from playing in the open. She had often talked about seeing the fairies, but her parents considered it was nothing more than children's fancy, and let it pass. Mr. Wright came into possession of a small camera in 1917, and one Saturday afternoon yielded to the persistent entreaties of his daughter, and allowed her to take it out. He placed one plate in position, and explained to her how to take a snap. The children went away in high glee, and returned in less than an hour, requesting Mr. White to develop the plate. While this was being done, Elsie noticed that the fairies were beginning to show, and exclaimed in an excited tone to her cousin, "'Oh, Francis, the fairies are on the plate!' The second photograph was equally successful, and a few prints from each plate were given to friends as curiosities about a year ago. They evidently attracted little notice until one was shown to some of the delegates at a Theosophical Congress in Harrogate last summer. Mrs. White certainly gave me the impression that she had no desire to keep anything back, and answered my questions quite frankly. She told me that Elsie had always been a truthful girl, and there were neighbours who accepted the story of the fairies simply on the strength of their knowledge of her. I asked about Elsie's career, and her mother said that after she left school she walked a few months for a photographer in Manningham Lane, Bradford, but did not care for running errands most of the day. The only other work she did there was spotting. Neither occupation was likely to teach a fourteen-year-old girl how to fake a plate. From there she went to a jewellery shop, but her stay there was not prolonged. For many months immediately prior to taking the first photograph she was at home and did not associate with anyone who possessed a camera. At that time her father knew little of photography, only what he had picked up by dodging about with the camera, as he put it, and any suggestion that he had faked the plate must be dismissed. When he came home from the neighbouring mill, and was told the nature of my errand, he said he was fed up with the whole business, and had nothing else to tell. However, he detailed the story I had already heard from his wife, agreeing in every particular, and Elsie's account, given to me in Bradford, added nothing. Thus I had the information from the three members of the family at different times, and without variation. The parents confessed they had some difficulty in accepting the photographs as genuine, and even questioned the girls as to how they faked them. The children persisted in their story, and denied any act of dishonesty. Then they let it go at that. 
Even now their belief in the existence of the fairies is merely an acceptance of the statements of their daughter and her cousin. I ascertained that Elsie was described by her late schoolmaster as being dreamy, and her mother said that anything imaginative appealed to her. As to whether she could have drawn the fairies when she was sixteen, I am doubtful. Lately, she has taken up water-colour drawing, and her work, which I carefully examined, does not reveal that ability in a marked degree, though she possesses a remarkable knowledge of colour for an untrained artist. Sir A. Conan Doyle says that at first he was not convinced that the fairies were not thought-forms conjured up by the imagination or expectation of the seers. Mr. E. L. Gardner, a member of the Executive Committee of the Theosophical Society, who made an investigation on the spot, and also interviewed all the members of the family, records his opinions that the photographs are genuine. Later in the day I went to Bradford, and at Sharp's Christmas Card Manufactory saw Miss Wright. She was walking in an upper room, and at first refused to see me, sending a message to the effect that she did not desire to be interviewed. A second request was successful, and she appeared at a small counter at the entrance to the works. She is a tall, slim girl, with a wealth of auburn hair, through which a narrow gold band circling her head was entwined. Like her parents, she just said she had nothing to say about the photographs, and, singularly enough, used the same expression as her father and mother. I am fed up with the thing. She gradually became communicative, and told me how she came to take the first photograph. Asked where the fairies came from, she replied that she did not know. "'Did you see them come?' I asked, and in receiving an affirmative reply, suggested that she must have noticed where they came from. Miss Wright hesitated, and laughingly answered, "'I can't say.' She was equally at a loss to explain where they went after dancing near her, and was embarrassed when I pressed for a fuller explanation. Two or three questions went unanswered, and my suggestion that they must have simply vanished into the air drew the monosyllabic reply, yes. They did not speak to her, she said, nor did she speak to them. When she had been with her cousin, she had often seen them before. They were only kiddies when they first saw them, she remarked, and did not tell anybody. But, I went on, it is natural to expect that a child, seeing fairies for the first time, would tell its mother. Her answer was to repeat that she did not tell anybody. The first occasion on which fairies were seen, it transpired, was in 1915. In reply to further questions, Miss Wright said she had seen them since, and had photographed them, and the plates were in the possession of Mr. Gardner. Even after several prints of the first lot of fairies had been given to friends, she did not inform anybody that she had seen them again. The fact that nobody else in the village had seen them gave her no surprise. She firmly believed that she and her cousin were the only persons who had been so fortunate, and was equally convinced that nobody else would be. If anybody else were there, she said, the fairies would not come out. Further questions put with the object of eliciting a reason for that statement were only answered with smiles and a final significant remark. You don't understand. Miss Wright still believes in the existence of the fairies, and is looking forward to seeing them again in the coming summer. The fairies of Cottingley, as they appeared to the two girls, are fine weather elves, as Miss White said, they appeared only when it was bright and sunny, never when the weather was dull or wet. The strangest part of the girl's story was her statement that in their more recent appearances the fairies were more transparent than in 1916 and 1917, when they were rather hard. Then she added the qualification, You see, we were young then. 
This she did not amplify, though pressed to do so. The hitherto obscure village promises to be the scene of many pilgrimages during the coming summer. There is an old saying in Yorkshire, "Ah, believe what I see, which is still maintained as a valuable maxim. The general tone of this article makes it clear that the commissioner would very naturally have been well pleased to effect a coup by showing up the whole concern. He was, however, a fair-minded and intelligent man, and has easily exchanged the role of counsel for the prosecution to that of a tolerant judge. It will be observed that he brought out no new fact which had not already appeared in my article, save the interesting point that this was absolutely the first photograph which the children had ever taken in their lives. Is it conceivable that under such circumstances they could have produced a picture which was fraudulent and yet defy the examination of so many experts? Granting the honesty of the father, which no one has ever impugned, Elsie could only have done it by cut-out images which must have been of exquisite beauty, of many different models, fashioned and kept without the knowledge of her parents, and capable of giving the impression of motion when carefully examined by an expert. Surely this is a large order. In the Westminster article it is clear that the writer has not had much acquaintance with psychic research. He is surprised that a young girl should not know whence appearances come or whither they go, when there are psychic forms materializing in her own peculiar aura, does not seem reasonable. It is a familiar fact also that psychic phenomena are always more active in warm sunny weather than in damp or cold. Finally, the girl's remark that the shapes were getting more diaphanous was a very suggestive one, for it is with childhood that certain forms of mediumship are associated and there is always a tendency that, as the child becomes a woman, and as the mind becomes more sophisticated and commonplace, the phase will pass. The refining process can be observed in the second series of pictures, especially in the little figure which is holding out the flower. We fear that it has now completed itself, and that we shall have no more demonstrations of fairy life from this particular source. One line of attack upon the genuine character of the photographs was the production of a fake and the argument. There, you see how good that is, and yet it is an admitted fake. How can you be sure that yours are not so also? The fallacy of this reasoning lay in the fact that these imitations were done by skilled performers, while the originals were by untrained children. It is a repetition of the stale and rotten argument by which the world has been befooled so long that because a conjurer under his own conditions can imitate certain effects, therefore the effects themselves never existed. It must be admitted that some of these attempts were very well done, though none of them passed the scrutiny of Mr. Gardner or myself. The best of them was by a lady photographer connected with the Bradford Institute, Miss Ina Inman, whose production was so good that it caused us for some weeks to regard it with an open mind. There was also a weird but effective arrangement by Judge Stoker of Australia. In the case of Miss Inman's elves, clever as they were, there was nothing of the natural grace and freedom of movement which characterized the wonderful Cottingley fairy group. Among the more remarkable comments in the press was one from Mr. George A. Wade in the London Evening News of December the 8th, 1920. It told of a curious sequence of events in Yorkshire and ran as follows. Are there real fairies in the land today? The question has been raised by Sir Arthur Conan Doyle 
and there have been submitted photographs which purport to be those of actual little people. Experiences which have come within my own knowledge may help to throw a little light on this question as to whether there are real fairies, actual elves and gnomes, yet to be met with in the dales of Yorkshire, where the photographs are asserted to have been taken. Whilst spending a day last year with my friend, Mr. Halliwell Sutcliffe, the well-known novelist, who lives in that district, he told me to my intense surprise that he personally knew a schoolmaster not far from his home who had again and again insisted that he had seen talked with and had played with real fairies in some meadow not far away the novelist mentioned this to me as an actual curious fact for which he himself had no explanation but he said that the man was one whose education personality and character made him worthy of credence a man not likely to harbour a delusion or to wish to deceive others whilst in the same district i was informed by a man whom i knew to be thoroughly reliable that a young lady living in skipton had mentioned to him more than once that she often went up to a spot in the dales the name of which he gave to play and dance with the fairies when he expressed astonishment at the statement she repeated it and averred that it was really true in chatting about the matter with my friend mr william riley the author of winderidge Netherly and Jerry and Ben, a writer who knows the Yorkshire moors and dales intimately, Mr. Riley asserted that, though he had never seen actual fairies there, yet he knew several trustworthy moorland people whose belief in them was unshakable, and who persisted against all contradiction that they themselves had many times seen pixies at certain favoured spots in Upper Airedale and Wharfdale when some time later an article of mine anent these things was published in a yorkshire newspaper there came a letter from a lady at a distance who stated that the account confirmed a strange experience which she had when on holiday in the same dale up above skipton she stated that one evening when walking alone in the higher portion of a slope of the hills to her intense astonishment she saw in a meadow close below her fairies and sprites playing and dancing in large numbers she imagined that she must be dreaming or under some hallucination so she pinched herself and rubbed her eyes to make sure that she was really awake convinced of this she looked again and still unmistakably saw the little people she gave a full account of how they played of the long time she watched them and how at length they vanished without a doubt she was convinced of the truth of her statement. What can we make of it all? My own mind is open, but it is difficult to believe that so many persons, unknown to one another, should have conspired to state what is false. It is a remarkable coincidence, if nothing more, that the girls in Sir Arthur Conan Doyle's account, the schoolmaster mentioned by Mr. Sutcliffe, the young woman who came from Skipton, and the lady who wrote to the Yorkshire newspaper should all put the spot where the fairies are to be seen almost within a mile or two of one another. Are there real fairies to be met with there? End of part one of chapter three.